talk to science made believing in God obsolete. In other words, as science disproved that there is a God, I mean, some would say to maybe somebody like me that, well, believing in God is kind of like believing in Santa Claus. It's believing like the Easter Bunny and the Tooth Fairy, and somehow this whole God thing is like an emotional crutch that people need to make it through life. And a lot of prominent people in our society, a lot of movers and shakers, have that kind of approach that, that, God, that science has somehow made God obsolete as well. For example, there's a professor at Cornell University. He writes this. Let me summarize my views loudly and clearly. There are no gods. There are no purposes. There are no goal-directed forces of any kind. There's no life after death. And when I die, I'm absolutely certain that I'm going to be dead. That's the end of me. He goes on to write, there's no ultimate foundation for ethics. There's no ultimate meaning to life. There's no free will for humans either. So we have this idea in our culture, right? In our society that somehow science has made God just obsolete for us to believe anything. In fact, Dr. Jerry Cohn, who's a prominent uh, ecologist, University of Chicago, he writes, science and faith are fundamentally incompatible. Science only helps to disprove religion as well. Is that true? Does science disprove religion? Well, I would say not so much that science has limitations. Okay, I got a cake on the stage. You want to know why I have a cake on the stage? You might think it's my birthday, but it's not. So I wanted to just use this cake as an example. Let's say that my Aunt Joyce made the cake, and I do have an Aunt Joyce. So let's say that my Aunt Joyce baked this cake. And we've got up here on the stage a bunch of scientists. And we have a chemist and a biochemist and a physicist and a mathematician and an engineer. And we could ask them about the cake. Now, the chemist is going to tell us what kind of elements are in the cake. The biochemist is going to tell us how the fats interact with the proteins in the cake. All right. The physicist is going to tell us about the foundational particles of the cake. And a mathematician is going to have equations to tell us how the cake interacted when it was baking. Now, the engineers are going to eat it. <laughs> Just wanted to throw it out there for all the engineers in the group as well, right? So the engineers are going to, going to eat it. Now then, let's say that we ask the scientists on the stage, why did Aunt Joyce make the cake? Why? Why did Aunt Joyce make the cake? Now, at that point, science has some real limitations. They can't answer that why question. And now Aunt Joyce, because I know my Aunt Joyce, she's going to have a little smirk on her face because she knows why she made the cake. And the others don't know why she made the cake. And we can see that science has some limitations. Now, it would seem to me that about 95% of all science has no bearing on my beliefs as a Christian. It has no bearing on me as a pastor or reading the Bible. I don't care if water is H2O or H3O, and I don't care about the molecular structure of methane gas. I don't care about that. It doesn't impact me whatsoever. But there is a little portion, maybe 3, 4, 5%, that does overlap, and it causes great conflict sometimes as well. And this has to do with certain areas like, is there a God? Now, I'm going to talk about this thing called cosmology. Don't freak out. That's about the biggest word I'm going to use today, cosmology, and it just means origins. Where did the universe come from? So we're not going to talk about the age of things. We're not going to talk about dinosaurs or anything. We're going to be very narrowly focused on this topic about is there a God as well. So I'm not a theologian, not a scientist, not a philosopher, 
just the pastor here at Grace Community Fellowship. And Genesis 1-1 really helps me. And here's what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So we're going to focus on this today. God created the earth. So when we think about that, all kinds of questions maybe come up in our minds as well. And is there a creator? What is he like? And for centuries... I'm going to say for a couple thousand years, philosophers believed that the cake has always existed. The universe is eternal. It's always been there. In fact, Greek philosophy, uh, uh, Plato and Aristotle and so forth, they believed that matter was eternal. It's just always been here. That belief began to change about 50, 60 years ago, and there were strong philosophical arguments that perhaps the cake had a beginning. The universe had a beginning. And there was some strong scientific evidence that began to point to that as well. And the popular word for that is simply called the Big Bang, okay? Everything kind of came into existence at a point in the past as well. There's a sudden uh, 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 emergence of everything that we see today, sudden emergence in the universe. The Velikan theorem, which is developed not too long ago, points that the universe actually had a beginning, and they had this model for that as well. One of the founders, Dr. Velikan of this, who teaches at Tufts University as well, he's, and I think he has uh, maybe 100 scientific papers, so he's no uh, shallow guy. He goes, with the proof now in place, cosmologists, talking about the origin of the universe, can no longer hide behind the possibility of a past eternal universe. In other words, he says, scientists can no longer claim that the universe has always existed. He goes on to say, there is no escape. They have to face the problem of a cosmic beginning. Now, he calls it a problem. So why is it a problem? Well, it's a problem because they've always believed that everything is eternal and they can't answer the why question. So if the universe had a beginning, it might point to a creator, somebody who made it all. The cake points to a cake maker. Got it? So that's what he's saying. And this, this atheist scientist is saying that's a problem. So I want to give you kind of what we call the cosmological argument for the existence of God. How do we know God exists? And I got in three simple phrases right here on the screen for you, and here's what it says. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. Whatever begins to exist, there's some cause behind it. The cake begins to exist, there's a cause behind it. The universe began to exist, Big Bang, whatever you want to call that. Therefore, the universe has a cause. There's someone behind that. Now, virtually everyone concedes that the universe itself ha began at some point in time. Scientists are now on that page with those things. And for the Christians, for you and for me, we would point to God, the personal God of the Bible. And we would say that God caused all, that God is the cake maker. God is the one who created everything. It just hasn't been there forever. Now, when I was a student, a long time ago, I'd go to class and one end of the university and they would say, oh, the universe has always existed. It's always been here. Then I'd go to another class on the other side of the, of the university and say, oh, no, 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 it actually had a beginning. And in that class I had, it was called thermodynamics. 
which was developed by a guy named Kelvin. And Kelvin was a scientist who lived over 100 years ago, and he created this thing called the Second Law of Thermodynamics. I can make this really easy for you. Are you ready for this? He said that the universe is like a car, and his gas tank got filled up, and it's slowly running down. Okay, so that's pretty simple. I can get that. In other words, the universe is coming to an end. And he went on to say, and the second law says this, that it must have had a beginning. Now then, for me, it means this. I might run out of gas up here doing this sermon, and some of you are going, good, because I know you're going to talk too long today. But you know what? The universe is probably not going to run out by the time I'm done. But you don't know how long I'm going to talk today. <laughs> okay? So it's just telling us that the universe had a beginning. Okay, we got, we got to have that straight. The universe had a beginning. It's like a car that somebody put gas into. There was a beginning to this as well. So another angle to look at this, just another way to view all of this kind of talk about things, is that something cannot come from nothing. Something cannot come from nothingness. Okay, so somebody might say uh, Christianity is like a, like a magic trick. You have a magician and a hat, and somebody pulls a rabbit out. Okay, so that's a trick, right? But can you have a rabbit appear without the magician, without the hat? Well, that's a little bit different, because nobody in here today is wondering, will a rabbit pop, pop up in your lap? Anybody think that a rabbit's going to pop up in your lap and you're worried about that? Or worse, that a porcupine's going to appear next to you and just pop out of nothing? For those of you at home, you're watching, will a, will a, a, a village from Siberia pop up into your backyard? Are you worried about that? Has it ever happened to you? Has a horse suddenly appeared in your living room? So I think not. You're not worried about that. Why? Because something doesn't come from nothing. So the universe had a beginning as well. Okay, at this point, some people are likely to have some questions about this. And one of the questions they ask, well, who made God? Oh, so sometimes I get asked that, and it's almost like for some people, like, gotcha. <laughs> Who made God? Where did he come from? Well, that's a pretty good question, actually. But actually, for scientists who are atheistic in their perspective, they've always believed the earth is eternal. So if I say God is eternal, all of a sudden they don't believe that there can be anything eternal. It's almost like they're self-contradictory as well. But what we would say to them as well is that God is the creator. So let me give you an example pick up my kids from school. They had a night function. They're six and eight. They're in the backseat of the car. And one of them says, Dad, is the moon made of cheese? I said, no, the sun, the, the, no, son, the moon is not made of cheese. Who made the moon from the mouth of a six-year-old, right? Who made the moon? It's at that point I want to explain this to him so he really gets it. I said, well, son, it's, it's actually an uncaused being that put the moon into place because you can't have a series of unregressive uh, eternal causes. There has to be something outside of that. It's kind of like this, son, that there, the universe is material, so it had to be someone that was immaterial or spirit that made things that are material. And it had to be somebody outside of time because physicists tell us that time started at one point. So the creator of the cake had to be somebody who was outside of time and made time itself. Okay, now then, I would explain this to my children. I'd say it had to be somebody all-powerful because the earth has so much energy, the universe had to be somebody powerful to put it all together. 
that's why my kids need therapy. Those kind of explanations I would give them, right? No, I said, son, God made the moon, right? God made the moon, okay? So when we think about the universe, it had to be somebody outside the universe to make it. It can't be somebody inside the universe. It can't be somebody inside the cake who made the cake. Got it? So the cake can be for us an example today. Somebody coined the phrase Occam's razor, which is actually a way of saying, let's pick the simplest answer to a complicated question. The question is, who made it? Why is it here? God made it. I find it interesting, I read this week, that 60% of all Nobel Prize winners are self-described Christians. So in one sense, I do not see a conflict between science and faith. Sometimes we have to work to see how it all fits together. But there's no reason that we cannot view science positively as well. Let's think about this whole universe thing from just another angle, okay? Let's say that I brought up on the stage a, a black box that had 10 digits in it, 1 to 10,000. And it's a meter, it's a gauge, and it's measuring gravity. And then you get to pick what its setting would be. And you have a choice from 1 to 10,000. But let's say that there's gravity, and there's the speed of light, and there's the mass of an electron, and 50 other things. Now then, all of those 50 black boxes, labeled from 0 to 1 to 10,000, have to be calibrated exactly correct, or there'd be no life here. It have to be incredibly, incredibly, incredibly accurate for you to exist. Because if you get gravity off by just a sliver, if you get the mass of, a, of an electron wrong, we're not going to be here. So in other words, all, the universe is finely tuned, and that would tell me there had to be a tuner to put it all together. It didn't happen by accident as well. So they have to have things like gravity, temperature, speed of light, the mass of an electron for all of these dials to be correct. I was reading this week about all these parameters, these finely tuned boxes from Dr. Vera Kosowski. She's a MIT physicist. She's also the former head of the uh, Women in Science Foundation as well. Here's what she says. The exquisite order displayed in these finely tuned black boxes by our scientific understanding of the physical world calls for the divine. In other words, everything is so complicated that it didn't happen randomly or by accident as well. So I look at all this and I look at my faith as a pastor, my belief in Jesus, and I go, there is a God. It's reasonable to assume there is a God. It's rational to assume there is a God. It's rational to, to assume that God created the cake. And God knows why he made the cake. Let me give you a couple working analogies that might help you in thinking this through. So let's say that we got a bag of Scrabble tiles together. And we put them in a bag. I was going to do this, but I was going to throw them in the air and just let them fall over the stage. And then I realized I'd have to pick them up, and I didn't want to do that. So you throw them into the air. They just throw them randomly. And they bounce all over the stage. Oh, but goodness sake, here's a straight line that says, Steve loves Mary every day of the week for a score of 50 points. So it says that. Carson, you go, well, that was 
That didn't happen accidentally. Somebody moved those tiles around. It took intelligent intervention for that to occur. But it gets more complicated than that because I don't want one bag of Scrabble tiles. I want a hundred bags of Scrabble tiles. And I want to mix them all together and throw them into the air. So in other words, it points to an intelligent being putting all this together. Or let's think of uh, this illustration. Let's say I pay for everyone in here to go to Mount Rushmore with me. And we all travel to Mount Rushmore. We get out of the tour bus and we show up there and we look at it for five minutes and go home because I've been there. It's not that big a deal. <laughs> Took my kids there when they're 10 and 12. They go, oh, that's enough, Dad. It's just a mountain. Let's go. So anyway, you get to the Mount Rushmore and I hire a guide for us. We need somebody to explain Mount Rushmore to us. So we get there and the guide says, look at George Washington. Do you see his nose? The wind and the rain carved that nose. Do you see his eye sockets? That was caused by freezing and thawing, and it carved out the eye perfectly. Not only on one, not only one image on this one, but four images. And look at the curls of hair. That all happened because, and it goes through this thing, and you're looking at me going, Steve, you got the wrong guide. <laughs> you show up at Mount Rushmore, you don't think it happened accidentally. You think there's some type of intelligent intervention to create Mount Rushmore. Okay, so let's say I got really big bucks and I'm taking you all on a Caribbean cruise. Ooh, <laughs> we're going to the Car Caribbean. So, wrong time to get on a cruise ship, I know. That's why I suggested it. So, so we get on it and we stop at one of those beautiful islands and we get out and walk on the beach. I mean, the, the sand is like flower. It's so soft. And, and you come across this big sand castle. And I said to you folks, this is a special place. The waves came in and crashed on the sand and created a, a, this sand castle. You would look at me and say, Steve, you've been on the boat too long. Do you have seasickness? Waves from the ocean don't make sand castles. Somebody was here before us, probably the last cruise ship, and they made a sand castle. Who made the cake? The cake maker made it. I was reading this quote from Dr. James Tour, Rice University. He has 130 patents. He's an expert on molecules, molecular. He makes molecular machines. He's brilliant. He writes this, I stand in awe of God because of what he has done through his creation. Now, here, here's what he says. This is not me. He says, only a rookie who knows nothing about science would say that science takes away from faith. If you really studied science, it will bring you closer to God. Who made the cake? Okay, the scientists are up here with my Aunt Joyce, and the question is asked, who made the cake? Now, I know my Aunt Joyce, and she's grinning a little bit because they have no idea because my Aunt Joyce has five kids. And her habit at the Thanksgiving get-togethers when I was a kid was that every one of her kids could ask for a dessert. And usually it was a pie. So she had to make five pies for her kids, one for her husband, and then actually one for her favorite nephew. It would be me. <laughs> but, however, not every kid wanted a pie. So the reason she made it 
a cake is because one of those kids wanted a cake instead of a pie at Thanksgiving. Now, why does she do that? Well, because she loves her kids. So when we think about the cake, why did God make the universe? Why did God create you? That's the question we need to grapple with a little bit. Here's the first thing. God created me for a purpose. Psalm 139 says, For you, were create, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. You are not an accident. God's purpose in your life will impact you every day of the week. I can get up in the morning because I have purpose. I know that I'm not here randomly or accidentally. I can get up on Monday and know that God has something for me. I know that life is headed someplace. I can have significance. Yes, your life is significance. God created you and designed you with a purpose to give you significance. God created you so that you would have purpose and you could live here with some meaning in your life. God created everything with beauty. Isn't it a great day outside? Oh, wow, it's fantastic. God created the cake for you. God created you, but what's happened is things have gotten broken along the way. We live in a broken place, broken families, broken businesses, broken government, broken society, broken relationships, heartache and pain has happened. But God did not design the cake to be that way, but we've chosen some of those things. If you want to know the purpose of something, why does it exist, where would you go? Well, you could go to the, to the well, to the internet and go to a YouTube video. Maybe you could find one. Why is the universe here? You could do that. You could get a self-help, but you could look within, something within me. But really, to find the purpose of the cake, you have to ask Aunt Joyce. And so if you want to know the purpose of the universe, you should ask the person who made the universe, and that would be God. You can ask God. The other way to know the purpose of your life, the other way is to look at the owner's manual. So this week, I pulled out one of my, uh, my leaf blower, and on the side it said 50 to 1. I'd written it in a pen. 50 to 1, that's, you know what that is? That's the ratio of oil to gas I need to mix. And I got to thinking, that's not right. I think it's actually 40 to 1. I should go check the owner's manual. Scripture is your owner's manual. Scripture is where you can go. So you can talk to God or you can go to the owner's manual to find out what your purpose is, the inventor of everything. And when you check with God and you check with the owner's man, it's the best news ever. It really is. Because you find out that this God who made everything, who made the cake, this God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die for you so that you could have forgiveness and that you could have eternal life and that you could have a clean conscience and that you could have your guilt removed, and you could have your shame and your regret moved. You find out when reading this that God loved people so much that he sent his son to die for you on the cross. And he came into the city of Jerusalem and 
The very people he came to save and that he was loved so much took him outside the city gates and crucified him, killed him right there. But he came back to life. You read that in the owner's manual. It's the best news ever because when you believe in him, you can live forever. We call that eternal life. That's a long time. So God loved us so much. That's our purpose. Which leads me to number two. God desires a relationship, to have a relationship with me. Mark 12, 30 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's what Jesus said. Then one of Jesus' followers in 1 John said, John said, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. I just want you to think about the word love for a minute. The word love indicates a relationship. I can love God, and God loves me. We call that a relationship. Now, I know in, in our day, we will say things like, well, I just love the ducks, or I just love the beavers. But really, we can't have a love relationship with things that are inanimate. We can have a loving relationship with the God who created the universe. But you think very carefully with me. This God who created everything came to earth in human form, Jesus. Jesus walked around touching people who had leprosy. He walked around, put his arms around people who were feeling outcast and oppressed. He put his arms around people who were feeling distant from God. People who were very far from God, Jesus came up to them, touched them, and prayed with them, healed them. You can have a love relationship with a person. You see, the thing about Christianity is it's not following a set of rules or policies or practices. That's not, you can't have a relationship with policies, but I can have a relationship with the person behind it all. So when we talk about loving God, that's actually a statement of relationship. You can have a relationship with God. That's why he created you. He created you because he loves you, and every person that God creates, God loves, and God wants to have a relationship with everyone. That would include all of you. You might be here today and man, you haven't thought about these things. In fact, you've been struggling with some of them. How many of you are parents today? I just, or you're, yeah, yeah. So you have a baby, and you just love the baby. You just, oh man, just so much. You just love this child. And of course, then they grow up to be teenagers and you have your moments. But anyway, so at the very beginning, you just love them. Love them so intently. What do you think about that? That's the kind of love that God has for you. God is your heavenly parent, your heavenly father. Now then, our heavenly father loves us perfectly, not like an earthly parent. So he loves you. He loves you incredibly, with this incredible amount of love. He loves you with an everlasting love, the Bible says as well. God loves us. So what's my response all this love from the creator of the cake. My response is to love him back. And in a biblical kind of way, a theological kind of way, we do that by worshiping God. And we worship God, well, one way, a way, is by singing. We're going to do that. We're going to sing to God because it's an emotional thing. I'm singing to the God who created everything. I can, I can respond to God's love by telling others about him. 
I can respond to God's love by being compassionate to people. So if I think through the life of Jesus and I see that he put his arms around people with leprosy and people were struggling and hurting, I can do the same thing and I can give grace and compassion and mercy. I can give to people who need some financial help. I can help other people. That's a way that I can respond to God. I can love God by loving others because God loves me so intently. He has saved me. He's forgiven me. He's taken away my guilt. Here's the third thing when I think about why God created me to be here. Why is to walk with others on their spiritual journey. John 1 says, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him to be Simon Peter. We have found the Messiah that is the Christ. So I'm in this morning group and we're saying the book of John and we, we really thought about this in, in the Gospel of John that that they ran and told others. In this case, Andrew went to tell his brother Peter, I think we found this guy. His name is Jesus. I think he's the Messiah. Peter, let's go. Come on, let's go check it out. How can we do that? I had some practical ways for you to just think about. One is just to talk about it. So if you have friends who are not followers of Jesus, you can at least have a conversation with them. And I know what some of you are thinking, you expect me to talk to somebody else about Jesus? No, I don't expect you to do that. Jesus expects you to do that. <laughs> the bar got incredibly higher for you. <laughs> Jesus expects you to. Now, I know what some of you are pushing back on this. You're going, well, I'll blow it. And I'm, my response is, no, you won't. <laughs> if you just bring it up, it's a win. You say, I might say it wrong. I say it wrong all the time, and I'm a pastor. You'll say it. You'll get it down right. Just talk to people and then tell them your story. I'll give you some advice. If you're going to tell them your spiritual story of became a Christian, do it in a minute, not an hour. If you tell me your story in an hour, I'll be to sleep. <laughs> no offense to you. <laughs> Keep it short. Because if they want to ask you a follow-up question, you can tell them more. So I'll just give you an example. I can do it in like 30 seconds. I can tell someone, you know, as a teenager, I was rebellious in my home, and I was far away from God. I really had no direction or purpose as a teenager. Some friends of mine invited me to a youth group, and I started going. I thought, well, it's not too weird. And they explained to me how Jesus died for me. And so they introduced me to this concept that he rose again. If I believe in him, I could have everlasting life. And on September 19, 1979, I trusted Christ as my Savior. Just done. I left out a lot of details, but people don't need to know all those details. If they want them, they can ask. And then to remember that your tone matters. You know, don't be harsh with people. You know, be calm. Be gracious with people. If they don't want to accept Jesus, fine. You just keep praying for them. Be gracious toward them. And for heaven's sake, don't argue with people over it on social media. It's a loser every time. They can't see your tone. Yeah, it just goes out the window. All right. I read this story this week about a scientist. She's an astrophysicist in University of Texas. Her name is Sarah Savendor. She is in the field of astrophysics. Uh, she's a self-described atheist growing up in her. She said her parents were scientists and they were atheists as well. And so she says that growing up in all her years through college, she... Uh, up until college, she had only met three people who said they were Christians. That's a travesty, isn't it? How did that happen? 
So anyway, she goes to teach at the uh, University of Texas, and she writes this. It was amazing that for the first 25 years of my life, I met only three people who identified as a Christian. My view of Christianity was negative from an early age. Looking back, I realized a lot of this was the unconscious absorption of the general hostility toward Christianity that is common in places like I studied, like Europe and Canada. She goes on to say that she joined some campus clubs, and there she actually met, as she describes, real Christians for the first time. She writes this, They weren't like atheists and agnostics I knew. They were joyous and content. They were smart, too. I was astonished to find that my physics professor, some of them whom I admired, were Christians. Their personal example began to have an influence on me, and I found myself growing a little less hostile to Christianity. She concludes her story by saying she read Psalm 19, which says, The glory declares God. So what do we do? So what do we do? Science said that God is obsolete. I think there are reasons. There's a rational basis for us to believe there's a God. I think there's a rational, realistic reason why we believe in Jesus who made the cake. And when we can answer that question, we can begin to dive into why, why am I here? And you will have purpose, you will have significance, you will have more impact in your life than you ever dreamed because you're living in line with God's purposes. That's why it's important that we know who the cake maker is. I'm going to pray right now. Would you join me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you are the creator of the universe. We thank you, God, that you love us so much that you sent your son for us. Maybe right now, maybe there's a nudge that you feel from God, and he's telling you, I love you. Right now, God is saying that. And maybe you need to think that to yourself, that God loves me. Maybe for some of you, you hear this quiet whisper. And you want to respond back to God and whisper back to him, I love you too. And when we respond back to God that way, it's the beginning of a real relationship with your creator who loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for you on a cross and he rose again from the dead. That's exciting news. So would you just thank your creator for loving you that much? Just whisper it to him. He hears every whisper. Thank you, God, for saving me. And we just pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.